your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Wednesday, busy Wednesday. Lacrosse Talk PM, like the guy said, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Going to bring on Steve Doyle here in a few minutes to talk about what all went down in Madison. What's going down in Madison today, as Brad kind of mentioned it uh, just before the show here. Uh, a move to make the Secretary of State, the school superintendent, and the treasurer, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, appointees by the governor instead of something we vote on. We'll see if we even get to that, because I think they passed 15 bills or resolutions yesterday. And uh, we'll get Steve Doyle, the assemblyman in the greater lacrosse area here, uh, to to kind of break down some of this stuff. Uh, it's always great when you're you're driving in... <laughs> And I've run red lights, you know, and you, you do the thing where you you go, you, you you take the yellow, but you know very well that you probably should have stopped. Um, but I'm, I'm coming through to get to work here and uh, coming down State Street and passing 3rd Street, which is the busiest street, especially right about now, right? And about to go, and, and this lady just blows the red light. Like, it wasn't even close to hitting the yellow and she was oblivious. She wasn't on her phone or anything, so she but she was just oblivious to the fact that, you know, you can kind of tell somebody's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna burn I'm gonna burn some rubber here and, and get through because it's a questionable yellow red light situation. But man, she just and I'm just like, I wish you would have at least known that you blew the red light and two cars going in the opposite directions almost t-boned you or you almost t-boned them because you're just you're not going to learn any other way you know i don't i don't care about giving people tickets at this point because it's just it's not going to help but the, the idea the, the 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 how close you were to just hitting getting in a car accident or, or hitting someone or getting hit and she's just going to be oblivious to that because she's not going to know and the way you learn isn't by getting a ticket but at least by you know Oh crap! I almost that would have been that wouldn't have been good for for me or anybody. That would have been insurance money. My car would have been destroyed. Their car would have been destroyed. Also, maybe somebody hurt. Somebody may have been hurt. God forbid. Um. So so there was that. That was interesting coming in. Um. Some of the stuff that went down in Madison pretty interesting. And and I you, I'm gonna enjoy Doyle's take because I kind of wonder. I wonder what what some of this stuff is relevant. There's there's also there was so much stuff that I don't the AP couldn't even keep up. So the AP is is at Madison covering this stuff. And Doyle told me he he said there were 15 bills. I think he told me 15 bills or resolutions. And I it might have just been the assembly. So the Senate did some of some of their own stuff. Um, but but we only have so many of these. And the one that you know, there wasn't anything on disability, but there was a hundred million for mental health that 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 went past that got through. Um, and then we talked a little bit about it, right? Cursive mandates, civics classes mandates, uh, not the car, but the the you know the teaching of government essentially civics. Uh, there was a weird one about sealing vaccination mailings, which I'm not even all that. I don't I, like. That doesn't it's, it doesn't seem like something that can we? It seems like something that you can mention because apparently they're sending postcards. I think it was out to schools, 
Uh, just and in those postcards, whatever whoever it was about, it had their vaccination status on it. And like, hey, can we not do postcards because you can you can read a postcard, right? Anyone that sends a postcard, postcards are really weird if you think about it. But your mailman could read all your postcards, right? I don't think they care at this point. They're pretty busy. But so this one, you know, oh, no, they have their vaccination status in the postcard. So can we just not can we not have can we put them in envelopes and seal them? Fine. They pass that. It's it's fine. I feel like it could have just been a conversation. We're going to go over to the the postcard people, whoever's sending out these postcards. I'm just going to mention, hey, can can you send this uh, in a different way? But anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Brad's got to do the news. I'm going to get Doyle on the phone, and we'll talk about some of this stuff. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you want to text in, just do that right now. i got Steve Doyle in here and uh, Assembly. Oh, boy, Steve, I'm always going to forget what district. It's 90-something district. 94th. 94th. I just call it the Greater Lacrosse area because that way I can remember. I remember that you're not in Lacrosse. You're just uh, outside of Lacrosse. Uh, essentially, it's the, much, it's the much Greater Lacrosse area. Oh, much Greater Lacrosse area. That's right. Um, all right. So a lot. Let's just get right to it. A lot of stuff. And I appreciate you coming on. A lot of stuff went down in Madison. I think you told me earlier that about 15 bills or resolutions passed. Is that just the Assembly or both in Assembly and Senate? Uh, that was just in the assembly yesterday uh, on our, our calendar. We had a couple resolutions which were were fine, uh, nothing controversial, um, and then uh, about a dozen or so bills. Okay, when you do, you literally have to sign these, and do you sign them in cursive? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a product of uh, 12 years of Catholic education, so not only did I learn cursive, I learned it from the nuns. And if you didn't write neat, you were going to get your wrist slapped. So, oh, I was um, I was just going to ask. Then I became a lawyer, and now you can't read my writing. And now you can't read. Yeah. I haven't written. I tried yesterday. Oh, my, my note. Somebody threw it away. I, I did it on a little uh, notepad here if I could write my name in cursive. I still can do it. But, man, I haven't done that. And I probably haven't done that since, whatever, 1993 when I was in middle school or something. Um, but it, we, I, I bring that up, obviously, because that's one of the – uh, one of the things that passed assembly is is cursive mandates. Do you, when you guys pass stuff like this, um, we, we, we talk, I mean, it's got the word mandate right in it, Steve. We don't want any mandates. Well, you know, I'm a product of local government. You know, I've been on the county board for for many years, and I just think decisions are made best at the local level. You know, I, I think that school boards, you know, a lot of them will want to have. Uh, cursive uh, as a requirement in their particular school district, and, and that's great. But I don't think that the state should be stepping in, telling our local school boards what they can and, and cannot do. And, and we spent a lot of time yesterday debating that issue with the you know critical race theory and cursive and civics uh, classes. Civics classes, yeah. I, I mean, this. I, I think that we elect school board members because we have confidence that they will make the right decision for our kids. And I don't think we need Big Brother down in Madison or, or God forbid, out in Washington telling us what to do in our individual school districts. I mean, we're smart enough to figure that out ourselves. Um, the, the, so UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski joins me. We've talked about this in the past. He teaches a civics class. He says he has to kind of reteach civics when kids get into college 
because not based not because of what they learned in high school, Steve, but because of what is going on in Madison. Because Madison isn't doing civics anymore; they're not. The government isn't run in the traditional fashion anymore. Uh, how you know you've been doing this over ten, I think over eleven years, right? Like how much has things changed? Obviously, things have changed, but I, I guess what where are you at with the way things are, are being run in Madison? Well, well, here's a mandate that I think we should impose, which is we should require our state legislators and and uh, anybody elected to state office uh, to take a civics class because we are not doing what you, we should be doing. We're not following the rules of, of um, what used to be the norms for how you deal with government. You know, I worked in the legislature when I was in law school. I worked for a Democrat from Kenosha. Um, and, you know, I've said this many times before. He used to brag about the fact that, as a Democrat, his closest political ally was Republican Governor Tommy Thompson. I mean, they were in each other's offices all the time. They worked together great. That's really where I learned bipartisanship. You know, I learned from somebody that, you know, I, I was proud to work for. Um, and, and, you know, he could go back to his district and say, you know, here are the things that I've done for you, not... You know, not here's the fight that I fought, and here's how the other side is so horrible. Everything I mean, he actually got things done, and um, this legislative session right now is probably the most frustrating one I've been in. I mean, there's just between COVID and everybody paranoid about what redistricting is going to mean for whether they get reelected or not. Uh, I mean, everything is just frozen in place, and instead of trying to get things done that will help people. Uh, it's circling the wagons and trying to make the other side look as bad as possible. And that's just stupid. Now, when you were working with that that guy, in Ken- the Democrat in Kenosha, and he was working with Tommy Thompson, did you guys do a lot of sessions out on the water, maybe water skiing, anything like that? <laughs> no. Uh, actually, back in those days, I'm sure that uh, Tommy was not injuring himself water skiing. Right. Um, but, uh, but speaking of, of water, my boss was so popular down in Kenosha that they even named a lake after him. So there's now Lake Andrea down in the Kenosha area, named after him because people in both parties thought he was a good guy. Well, we'll have to do that. Maybe, with... maybe someday they'll name a lake after him, but probably not. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. I was going to just do that. Man, we'll change the Mississippi River name maybe someday. Um, did you guys do anything? Did you accomplish anything yesterday in Madison that you can point to and go, yeah, you know what? I'm actually kind of proud of this. I see $100 million for mental health. I'm even kind of like, I don't know what to think about animal abuse penalties because I'm kind of pro-animal. You're a pro-animal guy, but the abuse penalties, I'm not really sure uh, what to think of. Can you t- tell me what to think of the animal abuse increase penalties? Um, well, I guess if you keep in mind that if we're smart when we pass those laws, we give judges a lot of discretion. So for certain types of animal abuse, um, having greater penalties is probably a good idea. Um, but I think, and of course I say this being married to a judge who would want me to say this, um, <laughs> the best person to make a decision on what kind of penalty there should be is the person imposing that penalty in the courtroom. And so, you know, it, it, it's fine if we want to increase penalties, but as long as it's a, a, a scale where the, the judge could say, I'm going to give you the max, or I'm going to give you a, a slap on the wrist or something in between, I, I think that's important because every case is different, and I see that all the time in my law practice. Yeah, and we see, you know, different people are going to be affected by penalties differently. I mean, 
I, I just think like if you're abusing animals, you a, you don't get animals. But finding people, some some of these people just don't have money, so finding them isn't going to help. It's just going to make them mad. And and uh, yeah, so I don't know. A lot of times when we were talking about just increased penalties for things, it, it's not always going to make sense. Um, what what else did you think? Well, what did you think that you guys passed yesterday in the state assembly? And we're talking with uh, Assembly Rep Steve Doyle in the the greatest of lacrosse areas. Uh, what what did you pass yesterday that you can be proud of? Uh, well, we passed one bill that will make it easier for disabled people to uh, be able to get wheelchairs. Uh, you know, it's a it's a little thing, but you know, it passed unanimously, and we should have more bills to pass unanimously. Um, it, it's not going to help a lot of people, but man, the people that it does help, it's going to be a, a big deal for them. So I, I, you know, I'm proud of things like that. You know, to, you know how I spent today. Um, I spent. Uh, my late morning, about an hour or so, with uh, Representative Barb District from the other side of the state. Uh, Barb and I are um, working on a package of eight adoption bills that are going to be introduced uh, sometime in the next week or so uh, that will make the adoption process um, easier and more efficient in, in Wisconsin. So she is a Republican from the other side of the state. I'm a Democrat from western Wisconsin. We found issues that we have common ground on. And we, there, there are a lot of those issues that are out there, but people just don't seem to be interested in them, or at least not as many people as I would like to see being interested in them. Um, but you can find good people, and you can find good issues, and you can get things done. So I'm, I'm hoping that this package of bills you know, is something that we can pass through the legislature and get to the governor. There's some controversial provisions in there. Uh, you know, so it's not just going to be a, a, a slam dunk, but there are some things that um, I think things like open adoption, for example, um, a, a lot of states are doing open adoption and it's working really well. It, it's sometimes in a case where the county would like to terminate somebody's parental rights um, and that, that person, if they realize that if they terminate their parental rights, there could be an open adoption situation where they'd still be able to you know, see their kids once in a while it can make those very painful decisions a, a little easier to do. That's not a Democratic issue. That's not a Republican issue. You know, that's, that's a human issue. And, and we can find those things, and we can work together to get them done. And, and I'm not going to go to Madison and throw bombs. I'm going to go to Madison and try to get smart things done. When when you uh, you talk about adoption and, and it being di- what what maybe is the most difficult thing with uh, I have a friend going through this process right now so uh, two friends obviously there are a couple um, what is the most difficult thing for them to to when, going through the adoption process that maybe you're looking to to get rid of well there's really two major components of the adoption process the the second stage is actually adoption the first stage is um, terminating parental rights and so. That, you know, there are situations where, you know, a, a young woman may have a unplanned pregnancy and she wants to, you know, terminate her parental rights, and, and that's a smooth process, and usually it's win-win and, and people are happy as a result of that. But then there's the other situations where, you know, people just, you know, in, in all honesty, they're not good parents. You know, they're maybe abusive or they're neglectful or, or they're just not at that stage in life where, they should be raising children, and, and that's where, you know, the county has to step in, and, and those kids are placed in foster care. Um, and, you know, historically, it's been years and years and years that they bounce from one foster home to another foster home to another foster home. And, and 
we're just wrecking these kids' lives by not giving them permanence. And so that's the, the, the tougher nut to crack in, in this whole process is how to make it fair to both the child and the parents. And this is, a, this is an issue that is really important to me. In my early years of practicing law, I used to do a lot of guardian ad litem work where I was the attorney for um, a, a child or children in, you know, in abuse or a neglect situation. And, you know, my job was to advocate for them throughout the process. The really sad thing that, that happened to me in those cases is uh, on one day or one year, I would be you know, representing those kids in, you know, as victims of abuse or neglect. And a few years later, I'd be over in, in court and I'd see on the calendar that same kid is now in, you know, criminal court. You know, it, it, it's, they didn't have a chance. I mean, their lives because of their parents or their family situation um, was tragically messed up and the system was not working for them. They're bounced around from place to place, and they get themselves in criminal trouble, and and it just would escalate from there. I, like I said, this is personal to me. I saw too many of those kids just have their lives screwed up because the system wasn't working for them. And, and I, this is a personal crusade of mine, like suicide prevention is, um, because I, I I see the human component of it. So kids are the, the the kids are getting bounced around from foster to foster too much, and we want to get them permanent parents essentially quicker. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, you know, if a parent screws up, I don't think the state steps in and yanks their kids and puts them, you know, it, it terminates their parental rights and and puts them in a new home immediately. But you know, at, at some point, there has to be finality. I mean, you can't have you know a kid in four different foster homes over three years, um, not knowing who their, you know, forever mm-hmm. parents are going to be, going to be um, and not having the stability of the same home, the same parents, the same school, the same neighborhood. Um, you know, and, and so it's those cases where we need to make tough decisions. You know, we've got to give the parents a chance to, you know, to get their act together. Sometimes it's a temporary thing like, uh, you know, emotional issues or drug issues or alcohol issues. Um, and you hope that you can work with them and, and improve their situation because these are their kids. Um, but in other situations where you've given them an opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity, you know, at some point you just have to say, you know, this isn't working out. And, and for the best interest of these kids who are the innocent victims in this, you know, we, we need to take some more serious steps. And, and, and like I said, those are tough cases. Um, but the law the way it works right now is not a very efficient arbiter of those situations. And that's what we're trying to fix. We're talking with Steve Doyle. He's the 94th district assemblyman here in, in the greater lacrosse area. Um, two, two more things quick, Steve, and we're not the gerrymandering thing. I'm just going to have to bring you the, the, the dis- redistricting thing. I should call it. I'm going to have to bring you on later for, um, but there's news today that they're, they're looking to move the secretary of state, the school superintendent and the treasurer treasurer appointees, there are two appointees by the governor instead of us electing these people. Um, in, in my head, I'm thinking I had Sarah Godlewski on a, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, Sarah, I don't, I don't really know what you do. And she kind of explained, and it made sense after she explained it. But I think when we're voting on, on some of these positions, we don't actually know what they do. Do you, do you like the idea of a governor appointing these, or would you like them to, to see them remain as elected officials? You know, I think I have mixed feelings on that because I, I, I can see 
the value of a governor's appointment where hopefully you're looking at appointing a person based upon qualifications, not just something like name recognition or money or whatever the case may be. On the other hand, when it's a governor's appointment, it does tend to be political. A Democratic governor is going to appoint a Democrat, a Republican governor is going to appoint a Republican. Um, there's an argument that, you know, when Sarah Godlewski got elected, for example, she went around the state and did exactly what she did on, you know, when she was talking with you. She explained what the job is. And, and so it was a good education process for people, you know, to, to understand, you know, what, what she does or what the, you know, the head of the Department of Public Instruction does or, you know, those, those positions. So I, I don't know. I, I need to further think this or no, but I can see both sides of, of that one. And the way it, the way it'll happen is, well, the governor would appoint these people, and then they, we wouldn't confirm them for two or three years. <laughs> yeah, you know that that one's really getting frustrating. Um, I, I think that we need more respect. We need more respect between the two branches of government. The legislature needs to respect the governor. The governor needs to respect the the legislature. Um, and you know, I'm not going to point fingers at one side or another, but I, I would just make the observation that. There is a, a lot of lack of respect in Madison right now. And then just real quick with the redistricting thing, how, how ridiculous is it that we're already lawyering up and already, you know, you being a lawyer, we're already, we already have lawsuits up for something that we don't even have maps yet. How are, how are we having lawsuits already? Oh, it's all strategy. Uh, you want to win the race to the courthouse. And so both parties you know, did that. And the Democrats want it to be in federal court and the Republicans want it to be in state court and, you know, so we're going to unfortunately spend hundreds of millions of dollars fighting this out, um, which is frustrating. Um, I would prefer to see um, a, a nonpartisan entity like our Legislative Reference Bureau, for example, draw the maps. You know, in, in La Crosse County, uh, the people who drew the maps are the people in our zoning department. They, you know, we've told them, here's how many seats you want, we want you to, to make. And uh, they drew the lines, and the county board members looked at them and said, makes sense to us. You know, so you pull the, the partisan politics out, and I think you get a much fairer process, and I think you also get a better product in terms of people feeling that they their vote will matter, um, and, and, you know, neither party has a lock on, on, on power. It's not right if the Republicans do it, but it's also not right if the Democrats do it. When, Both are guilty of that. Yeah. When you say hundreds of millions of dollars, are you serious? Like literally hundreds of millions of dollars in like court fees and lawyer fees? I, well, yeah, I'm probably exaggerating that, but it will be millions. It won't be hundreds. Of oh, okay. Well, well, in millions of dollars, <laughs> taxpayer money, right? Like it's not like Robin Voss is footing the bill for his lawyers to, to get the maps drawn, right? Right. Well, and that's the interesting thing is um, Robin Voss, as a member of the legislature, his lawyers are paid for by the taxpayers. The, the Democrats that are filing their lawsuits um, are doing it as, essentially as outsiders, so they're you know, private paying for it. Um, but, you know, in terms of taxpayer dollars, you also got to consider all the court time that gets that you know gets chewed up in, in this process. So, yeah, it may not be hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's, it's a lot of money. It's, I think we spent if I remember correctly, and this may be wrong, but it's something like $3 million um, over the last 10 years fighting for, you know, over the, the previous maps. So I'm assuming it's going to be millions again. 
All right. We could use that money to fix the roads. That's what we say here. <laughs> um, I agree 100%. I mean, what, what kind of priorities do we have? Yeah. Uh, Steve Doyle, hey, thanks a lot for, for stopping in. Thank you. All right. See ya. All right. Running a little late. Uh, when we come back, Cheryl Hancock with the Cooley Recovery Center. She's going to talk about some Oktoberfest events that are that are coming up. When you know, obviously, Oktoberfest is coming up. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the talk and text line. Get those texts in a minute. But Cheryl Hancock is on with me now. She's the executive director of the Cooley Recovery Center. She has been doing that. I think you've been doing that for six years, Cheryl. Yes, that's correct. All right. And Oktoberfest is coming up. So I wanted to, I just wanted to let people know, I wanted to bring you on and just, hey, this thing is going on. Because Oktoberfest, when you, when you just think about what happens, you think of all the people uh, tapping a keg, drinking beer. It's a German festival, obviously. Uh, and, then, and then people just flood the Oktoberfest grounds. And then they kind of, you know, get out into the street. And there's, it's, it's, a, it's a drinking festival, the, I think the notion is. But what you guys are doing in Myrick Park on Saturday is is kind of the opposite of that. Still a festival, but can you talk about the Turnleaf Family Festival that's happening on Saturday? Sure. It's actually in its, I think it's its 36th year in existence, and so they've been doing it for a number of years. And it's really an alcohol and substance-free celebration of Oktoberfest because we still want to celebrate Oktoberfest. But um, obviously people who are in recovery... Um, need to find ways to do that without alcohol and substances. And so we're providing that opportunity on Saturday. Okay. And then the, at, at the Myrick Park, it says the main shelter, um, you, you guys, you changed this a little bit with COVID, right? We're, we're, it's, hopefully it'll be nice out and we're just going it, to, it'll be all outside essentially? Yes, that's what we're trying to do is keep it outside so that we can do it meet safely. I know the county health department is making recommendations about large groups, and so we're trying to accommodate that, but um, trying to be safe and have a safe safe gathering. And so, weather permitting is really what we're looking at. And when you when you host the stuff, the Cooley Recovery Center, you you must obviously you you know a lot of these people that. But how? What kind of stories do you hear of people just hey hey the the appreciation of having something to celebrate Oktoberfest, but they're, they're also not in this space where they, they feel, you know, I don't know, they, I'm, not, I'm not a substance abuser. I haven't gone through that, so I don't understand that a, a ton, but I could I can kind of imagine. But I don't know, they're, they're, do you have any good stories of people that really appreciate this thing? Well, you know, people who are in recovery want to participate in the same things in the community that any other person would. And alcohol is just kind of a part of it but not at the Turn Leaf event. And so a few years ago, um, I worked with the fest because we had been, my family had been in, involved in Oktoberfest in the past, and we knew what a great family event that can be. And so we worked with them, and I know in the past that had happened, but it hadn't recently. We brought the fest family. The fest family came in, and they did their buttons, and they played Oktoberfest music, and they, you know, talked with people. And and one of the people who was there told me they really felt like, for the first time in a long time, that they were celebrating Oktoberfest and being a part of Oktoberfest and being respected by the Oktoberfest family because they took their time out of their busy schedule to come and, and visit us. And so... It's that kind of thing. We just have to remember that these are people in our community who are seeking 
recovery. And again, they want to participate in all of the same activities everyone in the community does. And so it's our way of giving it back. How hard uh, can you can I explain maybe I hopefully you can uh, just how hard it is for maybe somebody to go to Oktoberfest grounds because everybody's got a beer in their hand the whole thing is is yep. centered around like tapping the golden keg at one point um, can you just exp- uh, maybe express how hard it is for somebody to, to go down and, and 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 party like that with everyone else. It is very difficult, especially people early in recovery, that this may be their first month or six weeks or maybe even their first year in recovery. And sometimes seeing someone with an alcoholic drink can be a trigger for them. So it just puts more pressure on them. And so um, to have that environment and culture where people are doing the same things, having the same kind of fun, you know, whether it's dancing or sometimes we do bingo, you know, we try to do some of those things. Um, but they're able to do that without that pressure or that trigger from that alcoholic drink. And the Turnleaf Family Festival, it's at Myrick Park Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, it looks like they, if you, a $5 donation, if people want to give it, you, you won't be turned away if you don't. Uh, there's going to be uh, food, beverages, uh, music, door prizes. I don't know. You got any big prizes, Cheryl? Well, we do get a number of great prizes from the community. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say that we're Holman Locker donates brats and hot dogs, and those are awesome and tasty. And so we really have that Oktoberfest feel. And there's a magic show at 3 p.m. by Isaiah, I see, on the flyer. <laughs> yes, yes, and we have some live music. I know that Joe and uh, Greg Lukowski, there a couple of folks are going to come and play and entertain um, us on Saturday as well so that we can have some of that merriment through the music. All right, Cheryl Hancock, as I said, she's the executive director at the Cooley Recovery Center. Uh, do you, Can you explain to the audience a little bit about what the Cooley Recovery Center, I think we can kind of get it, but maybe just some of the things coming up that, that people might be interested in? Sure. So what we do, we have this beautiful new building that we are able to provide a safe place for people who are seeking recovery. So it's alcohol and substance-free. We have a drop-in center. We do some things like karaoke and Java Jam some social events. We um, have some, well, we host a number, almost 100 meetings a month that are 12-step meetings or smart recovery. Those kind of things are being held in the building, and it's just a place for people to find recovery. All right. Cheryl, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I hope everything, you know, is is fun and, and, and great. I hope the weather is great for you guys on Saturday. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you um, having us on, too, so that we can promote it. Thank you so much. All right. See ya. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. That was Cheryl Hancock, the executive director of the Cooley Recovery Center. Turnleaf Family Festival, Myrick Park, Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Like I said, door prizes, food, beverages, non-alcoholic beverages, uh, music, and and magic. 3 p.m. magic for those who want to bring the kids out. Uh, $5 donation, uh, you won't be turned away. All right, one more break, and then we'll wrap up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. A couple minutes here to, to just wrap up. Thanks again to Steve Doyle, Assemblyman for the greater lacrosse area, or the greatest lacrosse area, I think he said. He made a joke about that. Uh, we talked about some of the things that happened in Madison yesterday. I think Steve told me about 15 bills or um, not bills or something, uh, resolutions, I think like that. Uh, resolutions were passed, uh, and 
and you know some of these were were pretty ridiculous. He was he was talking about how this has just turned into a culture war in in Madison, and and how you know, they're 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 actually not really doing government work right now. And the 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 irony there is that one of the things that the assembly passed yesterday was mandates for civics class in schools. And first of all, like a lot of the public schools already do that. And, and then the, the idea that uh, the government's passing mandates for civics when they don't actually appear to be running the government as if it was abiding by traditional civics. So there's, there's that civics. Like it's just the, the, the irony there is just unbelievable. Um, and then of course, you know, we can, we can joke all day about cursive mandates I love using the word mandates too because that's what's in the language there, and uh, you know, mandates, vaccine. So it's a, it's it's become a trigger word almost a little bit. Uh, and then the Senate did 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 two things with a, a critical race theory ban. So again, we're we're reaching into the schools and telling them they can't do something they're already not doing. Um, and we've we've misconstrued critical race theory to a degree where we've turned it critical race theory uh, culture war into. Uh, critical history theory where we can't uh where we can't talk about history his, like the critical history critical u.s history history that is critical to how we got to where we were i mean there's clearly been been things that aren't all great in in our history how we how we got here it's, the country's doing fine but you know there were some bumps in the road and we could talk about those it's not we, we don't have to talk about them to first graders and i don't think for the most part, I don't think we're doing that. I think maybe there's some crazy teachers out there that do some stuff. You always hear, hear a story on one side or the other, uh, you know, whether it's a crazy Republican teacher or a crazy Democrat teacher. I'll just do it that way instead of liberal and conservative. But um, you always hear, you know, some some crazy teacher doing something. And, yeah, that's what well, we should weed those people out. But on, on in, the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, some of the some of the stuff that we we teach in school is can be critical of how we got here, but it's not critical race theory. It's just goofy. Um, and anyway, so coming up tonight at the lacrosse center, the fest master will be named and check out. If you want to know who that is going to be wisdom news, right at nine o'clock, we will have the story. And, uh, and I think me and Brad Williams will talk about the fest master a little bit to start the show tomorrow um they've known the the fest masters it, it, this is a weird situation because these people have known for i think brad said 18 months brad williams in the newsroom at wisdom here he said 18 months these people have known they they were the fest master the mrs Oktoberfest, and all that and and so they've had to hold on to that secret or maybe hold on to that secret i kind of wonder how many people uh, they they told in secret because if you tell if you tell one person you know it's that's how it starts in eighteen months a lot of people might find out and then I don't know what kind of trouble you get into uh, I I think Dick Record here was telling me a couple like last week or so about how we leaked who the fest master was one year and I think this was some years ago and October Fest board or whatever really didn't like that and it's never happened again <laughs> I don't know what kind of trouble. Uh, whoever leaked it in the newsroom got, but they, they really didn't like that. So now it's kind of all the news agencies know who, who these people are and and we keep it a secret, but you will know at 9 PM tonight, check out wisdomnews.com. All right. Thanks everybody for listening.